Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Talk on Tech. I am Patrick Smith, and today I'm joined by one of my former students, Jared Staten. Hello, Jared. Hello, everybody. We're going to talk to Jared today in a two-part podcast. Uh, first podcast, normal format, talking about uh, Jared's experience growing up with computers and MCTC and his current job. And the next one is definitely going to be all about technology. So first, Jared, I, I know you've listened to a couple of the former podcasts. Yeah. You yeah. were even a fellow student with uh, Chris Starkey and Greg Napier. So, right. So this is... You know what's going to happen. Right, I'm wanting right. to know about technology and, and you growing up with technology. Okay. So so tell me about when did technology enter your life? Well, we'll just we'll go all the way back to, say, 1985. Okay. Um, Nintendo was probably my, nice. first, my first dive into technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, video games really drove that, that want and need to figure out how it works, well, you know, what, what the controllers are wired to and, and how it all goes together. Um, so did you break your Nintendo? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I actually broke. Uh, I broke two of them. Oh. Uh, the first one, uh, of course, it was it was later. Like uh, we had had it. I'd end up getting a Super Nintendo and a Sega. We had my old Nintendo sitting around. And I thought mm-hmm. let's take it apart. It didn't go very well. Uh, I think I broke the tray that where you put the cartridge in, mm-hmm. and you can push it down and all that. I broke yep. that tray. Uh, so. I think my cousin was getting rid of theirs, so mm-hmm. they gave me that one. Uh, I didn't break the tray that time, but I did step on it. <laughs> I left it well, on the. I left it in the floor one one evening, and then then I came back the next morning and accidentally stepped on it and something like that. So well, I know it's too late now, but if I was there, I would have told you never fear. You don't need the tray. You just need a game genie. That's that's because with the game that's genie, true. That is very true. Yes, you, the game genie was never able to go right. down, and so for people's trays that broke, you could have just stuck that in a game genie. I, I, you know what you're. <laughs> I wish I would have thought of that at nine years old. Uh, but uh, ever since ever since the video game thing took off with me, uh, I enjoyed playing them and all that. Uh, we got our first actual PC in around 1994, 95. Mm-hmm. It was an IBM Aptiva. It was a um, 46, 100 megahertz. Nice. Was that a DX4, um, I'm guessing, maybe? I think so. Well, no, wait. I'm, I lied about that. That was It was a Pentium 1. It oh. wasn't a 486. It was okay. a Pentium 1. Eight megs of RAM, sounds about right. Yeah, maybe eight megs, maybe maybe sixteen, yeah. thirty-two at the most. Right. So we we had that, and then it was a um, one gigabyte hard drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we we never thought in the world we'd ever fill up a gigabyte hard drive. Oh yeah, that was before I actually knew what a gigabyte was. And then it ca- it came installed with two different operating systems, Windows three one one, which had networking, and then something called OS two Warp which I prompt as soon as I learned how to, I promptly removed it and uh, OS two work. Right. I, I deleted it and actually went through the reinstallation process of three one one because I had no idea. I, I didn't understand it. And at that time I wasn't really willing to dig down into it and figure out what it was. Right. Um, and then after that, my father got his first uh, computer, which was a Packard bell. Uh, oh, a Packard Hell. A, a Packard Bell. At, you, you, uh, you, had a, you had a crap Tiva and mm-hmm. you had a Packard Hell. Right. Which, you know, the, the big selling point to the um, to the Packard Bells was their speakers, their side speakers on their monitors that they used to sell. You remember that? 
I do remember that they were they were mounted almost like ears on the right. side of the speakers, right? And for some reason, monitor. I mean, I feel like that that drove a lot of people to go go get it. That and um, they actually produced pretty top of the line equipment at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that he got, of course, was a little bit better. It was 133 megahertz Pentium one, uh, 16 megs of RAM. Actually, no, it had eight. We upgraded to 16. I, I actually talked him into that and let letting me do the do the upgrade for him and you didn't step on that right no i didn't step on that (laughs) i actually uh that was that was done probably when i was uh 15 was the first time i actually modified a computer and then from then on out i went into college uh really started building pcs for myself computer Mm -hmm. gaming started taking off until eventually i got to where i am now so Mm -hmm. Um, there's still there's a lot of years I skipped in between there, right? But uh, it's still pretty redundant, you know. Doing computer repair, upgrade. I started getting interested into like servers that were, you know, becoming popular. Hosting your own server and all that. I didn't get too much into it, though. I, I did like to read about it and stuff like that. So I remember my one of my high school friends had an IBM Aptiva, and the only th- I mean he hated it. <laughs> he, he called it a POS, and he didn't. Yeah. And he didn't mean a point of sale. No. Um, but the only reason we liked it, even after it was broken, was because the door on the front. He had the tower, and there was a a door as wide as the computer, but only half as tall, and it would slide up, and it would cover your floppy drives and your CD-ROM right, drives. Right. There's a little button you could push, and when you pressed it, with the little gear, it would slowly slide mm-hmm. down, so so slowly. And then you could lift it back up with your finger and put it back there and hit it again and watch it go down. And you could spend hours just watching this door go up and down. Now, the funny thing about that is, is uh, whenever that would happen, like, the, I would actually do that all the time on the computer. Mm-hmm. But it was when I started to learn how to connect computers with a modem. Uh, and that was because of Doom, right? Mm-hmm. Dial-up networking. Oh, yeah. Uh, play Doom over the modem. 144K, whatever. But while waiting for the phone call that's what i would do i just hit the button mm-hmm. let the draw like let the uh let the drawer the, the door, door, door yeah, whatever yeah. fall down and uh well we didn't have smartphones then no. so we couldn't look at our smartphones <laughs> no. that was the equivalent of like right. killing time while and, we waited and for you the couldn't uh because you were running doom you were in dos you mm-hmm. did you weren't in uh, a desktop environment to where mm-hmm. you could play like solitaire or anything like that uh, we're really dating ourselves with this, aren't well, we? Well, <laughs> I mean, you mentioned OS2 Warp, right. and and our last podcast was on the 20th anniversary of Windows 95. Right. So you're mentioning you bought a machine right on the cusp of Windows 95 coming out. Right. And I found it amazing that it had both Windows, uh-huh. which ran on top of MS-DOS, right. and then it had OS2 Warp. Because for the people out there that don't know any history on this, we mentioned in that podcast, there's a very good documentary called Triumph the Nerds. And I, I know as one of my mm-hmm. students, you yep. saw that. It's a very good documentary. It's very good. And just to give you a little history for the people out there who don't know what OS2 Warp is, Microsoft made a deal with IBM to sell IBM when they wanted to create their own personal computers, the Acorn, they first right. called the, the first one. They were going to sell them the software. Microsoft had BASIC. They had all these programming languages. Microsoft was not an operating system company. And they went to another guy. I just lost his name, uh, Gary Kildall, actually, and they tried to buy the operating system, release it off him, and he wouldn't sign their non-disclosure agreements. Right. So Microsoft scrambled to find an operating system. They found DOS. They made a deal with IBM to sell the operating system and the applications. Several, several years went by. Microsoft decided they didn't have a very good deal with IBM. 
So they wanted to start creating Windows, which took like 10 years for them to create a decent version of it. And the whole time, IBM realized they weren't going to be making any money off Windows. They were only going to make money off DOS. And Compaq had come along, like Scott and I talked about, Mm -hmm. and all these other companies had come along. And IBM realized, oh, crap, Microsoft's got the better deal here because they got the operating system. Then IBM said, let's make an operating system that will only work on IBM. And that was OS2, as in instead of DOS, it was operating system Mm 2. And what you had was OS2 Warp. Right. That was IBM's attempt to put a, a GUI over top of their version of DOS. Correct. Which, from what Scott tells me, and he didn't mention it on the podcast, but he tells me that OS2 Warp was awesome. He said there was a lot of awesome things you could do in it, but no one wanted to deal with it right. because Windows was king. Right. And it, I, to be honest, as someone at my age and going into that operating system, uh, it was very overbearing. Like, uh, like you couldn't really figure out what was going on. I mean, there was, from what I can recall from memory, there wasn't there wasn't a clear file explorer that you can look at. There wasn't a, a starting point. Mm-hmm. But of course, it it resembled three one one and almost resembled a little bit like ninety five. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it's very hard because it was long ago. It's hard to recall exactly. Sure the way it looked but i know that once i got in there i had no idea what to do <laughs> both well, with most operating systems that you're new to it does it does make sense that since you bought an ibm computer right they were going to try to sell you on their operating system right. actually i think when it was bought that it was ibm aptiva installed with os2 warp mm-hmm. also with windows 311 if I remember I correctly, see. so they they actually one they were selling IBM Aptivas with OS2 Warp, right? But to pull people in with the familiar familiarity with the fam- familiarness uh, familiarness, right? Um, <laughs> familiarity. I'm going to be trying to say that the Fami- whole night. Familiarity. Familiarity. There we go. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, that was a way of grabbing people's attention, saying, you know, hey, we have Windows. Why mm-hmm. don't you Why don't you buy our personal computer? Because uh, back then, it was for a personal computer, even that just did word processing, documenting stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it's seventeen hundred dollars, right? Compared to you know, if you want that out of a computer, you can build one now for three hundred, four hundred, five hundred dollars, right? So, uh, personal computing has definitely changed over the years. Scott did bring up a good point in the Windows ninety five podcast, though, where he he said basically, if you want to make a machine that's going to be future-proof for a little while, at least a good three years these days, it still seems like $2,000 is pretty much the bellwether price you're going to pay right. back then and today. So right. it seems like computers have always been that price, right. whereas cars in the 70s were $3,500. That's true. And now they're $50,000. That's true. I mean, you can if you, if you want a computer that does it all, mm-hmm. uh, like plays videos very well, games at the top of the line Mm -hmm. uh also can do a bunch of uh hd streaming to to like your devices your television or whether it be running a media server or something like that you're you will pay fifteen hundred two thousand dollars however i mean with with the evolution of like the raspberry pi Mm -hmm. where you can actually have a media server for thirty five dollars plus whatever extra parts you might need sure uh, I mean, it, it's it really varies, you know. It's it's it, it's become very not not to sound 
cliche, but very personal. <laughs> you right. know, personal preference to whatever your computer is supposed to be. So That's true. Because back in the day, way back in the day before both of our times, it was you would build your own computer. You would literally build your own right. computer. There was there was no kit. There right. was there was no going out to the store and buying one. So it was very personal back right. then. Now we have a lot of choices with a lot of customization. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're back there without that giant need for a PhD right. to know how to build a computer. Right. And even now, um, when you go to build a computer, say on Newegg or Tiger Direct, I know Newegg specifically will say. If you buy, say, an 1155 socket processor and then a motherboard with not the right socket, it'll tell you. Mm -hmm. It'll say that's not, that processor won't fit that motherboard. I think it's called their parts finder section. Right. And and even now they do have bundles. They're Mm -hmm. like, here's a motherboard processor video card. Just pick out your RAM, your hard drive, your power supply, and then any other parts you might need. Yeah. You know, sometimes you can put it in a case. I've seen people hang computers on their walls and not even use cases before. So That's I mean, cool. it's like I said, it's very personal. It's however it, it you does want seem to like everything and, goes and, in cycles, right? You know, the fact that back in the day we had mainframe computers, right. and all dumb terminals, right? Now we're kind of back to that with the cloud, right? That they they Absolutely. say they say Windows 10 is going to be the last Microsoft desktop operating system right. they do. It seems the same way with building computers because it used to be. I think the famous quote was from Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. For every um, 30 people who right. want to actually build their own computer, mm-hmm. you have 100 people who don't want to have to fiddle with that and right. just buy it. Right. Now, you kind of get the best of both worlds. You can right. build your own computer, except they'll tell you exactly what to buy. Right. Exactly. So, <laughs> so you can you can like slowly edge your way into being a tinkerer right. if you want to. Right. And, uh, and another neat thing is uh, they've also... When you're talking about like dumb terminals and and cloud computing and stuff like that, they've mm-hmm. actually looked into massive amounts in gaming, like game servers, that will actually run the game for you, and you connect up to the server and run it in a, an application or in a some sort of window where everything is post like the the process, uh, the GPU processing power, all that all that loads on the server, and it's just streamed directly to you. I feel there was a company that, if they're not still doing it, they tried it. Yeah, th- th- that's what the, I, I think, think that's called what I was talking live about. Live on, yes, live on, like and, that. and maybe yeah. maybe even GameFly had something right. like that. Because I think even originally PlayStation at one point had said the way we'll do backwards compatibility for for PS3 games, right? Because that was crazy. They used well, it wasn't crazy, but they used the the cell processor right which was very expensive mm-hmm. and now with the ps4 they've gone it's uh, amd yeah yeah so suddenly it's going to be really hard to emulate those games right. on a different processor i think they originally said we'll just make you play it on a server and right. and stream it down and they even had that thing was it called playstation tv they had out i think it was so. going to work like that yeah. you're going to remote desktop to your computer mm-hmm. and play so yeah. the biggest problem is the gamers want to make sure that they've got the lowest ping possible so right. they get that kill shot. Well, that's so. well, that's also a, an issue. I mean, whenever you introduce something like that, you're introducing extra latency to whatever you do. True. So uh, whether or not you live right beside a Chicago server farm or if you live in Alabama mm-hmm. where there might the closest server farm or, or um, data center might be Virginia, the response time of whatever you do when you hit a button could be milliseconds, could be hundreds of milliseconds, and that mm-hmm. makes a difference. Oh, yeah. Um, so I I can see why they didn't take off. Now, in the, 
NVIDIA is actually looking into that as well as far as uh, streaming inside your house. Like playing a game on your tablet that is actually playing on your PC and just streaming through your network. Stuff, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I think that's called shadow play or mm-hmm. uh, something similar to that. I don't know the technology behind it, but I know yeah. technically you kind of do that with a Wii U. Right. I don't know what a, what a latency is yes, like. Yeah. But when you use the controller... You can play the game there, or right. you can do that whole asymmetric play. Right. So, so it's it's being done, at least by Nintendo. Right. <laughs> so, so you mentioned you were tinkering a lot. You were tinkering with your Nintendos. Correct. High school wise, where in the region were you going to high school? Just to get an uh, idea. Well, I I went to Spring Valley um, High School, which is in in Wayne, Wayne County. County. Yeah, I'm in Wayne County, boy myself. I was actually only I it was a consolidated high school, so mm-hmm. I went two years to the unconsolidated high school, mm-hmm. which was Buffalo Wayne, and then two years to Spring Valley. So I I know okay, then based on that you're a little younger than me. Not mm-hmm. not too much, but I know that a little bit after I left Wayne, they finally got a Cisco Networking Academy yes. at Wayne High School. I don't know what Spring Valley did. Were, were you able to that, take that type of stuff in class? Actually, the Cisco Academy came there in my senior year. Okay. Uh, I took the first two classes as an option. And uh, when I got to Marshall my, my freshman year, they actually stated if you're going to go into the uh, Marshall Community Technical College or into the networking area in that uh, college, you can actually take the next two courses back at your high school, get college credit for all four, and then that'll put be put towards uh, your graduation. Uh, they actually allowed it and recognized it as a college course. So are you saying you took the first two at the high school? Correct. Immediately got credit for those two and just continued on with the, the last two at MCTC? No, actually, they let me go back to the high school and, and take the classes there. So even after you graduated high school? Correct. Was it like, were they doing a night class or something? No, it was, it was during the day. I just worked my schedule around it. Uh, the class started at 10, was over by 1130. That's rather unorthodox. It was, it was. The thing about it is since it was a high school class, it was every day. Right. So from 10 to 1130 every day I was there. Did you have to pay anything for that? I, well, it was, I was full time. So it, they just. It was included in tuition, I guess. Uh, not. I guess, that I I guess what I was trying to think is, if you're going and taking a class at a high school, right. and you're taking during the day like a high school student, correct? they don't pay anything for it. No. Or are you... Wow, that's... Wow, that's, that's unusual. Yeah, it was very unusual, because I, I think there was a lot of technical uh, classes there at the Votech at Spring Valley mm-hmm. that would actually count as college credit. Well, I understood that. Mm-hmm. Like when I was in high school, I took a couple dual credit classes, right. which is not exactly what you're saying. You took a straight out Cisco class and you got credit for it. Whereas I think I had to pay, let's say $150 to take right. a French 101 class where right. I got an A in high school and I got some sort of credit in, in right. the college, which was great because I didn't have to buy a textbook. Mm-hmm the textbook was provided. So um, that's an interesting idea that you were able to go back there, take the class, but you were actually signed up for the, it would have been 231 or 241 classes, right. I guess, at yeah. MCTC. So you, so you had to pay to take the quote unquote class and get the grade at MCTC, but correct. Interesting. Well, well, the, the interest, the, another interesting thing was, is that it was a class that usually had juniors in, mm-hmm. um, 
when we, me and this other fellow took the class and we were both seniors and then we went to college and we, we actually met with a counselor like you're supposed to whenever you're, you know, first getting there stuff like that. So sure. you talk to your counselor um, and we, I explained my situation and said, I have two of these classes. They're actually in the curriculum that I want to take. Um, and there's two more that I need to take. Is it possible to where I could take them there and still get college credit for them? And they they worked it out, and they actually, the guy that I was with in the class that was also a senior actually had the same question for his counselor. Surprisingly enough, they got together, figured something out for us. All I knew was I show up, I go to the class, I got a grade, and I actually counted as college credit. So I don't know a lot of what they did behind the scenes to yeah, make that happen. that's... You are the first case that I've ever heard that happen to. I mean, it's probably because you asked. Right. Because normally, I think what they would have had you do is your fall semester, you would have simply taken Cisco 3. Right. At, at MCTC. Right. But, but it worked out that you got to go ahead and take the class to the same right. instructor or professor there. Apparently, you mm. you liked that atmosphere there. Right. Well, so. I mean, it, it was... It was interesting because we they actually had a really decent lab. Mm-hmm. They had the uh, they had two rooms. They had one room where we went and listened to a lecture, looked at PowerPoint slides, and then the second room was where the actual lab was. We had five routers, right? I don't know how many switches, and probably around twelve, thirteen computers. And each one of those computers could remotely connect up, whether that be you know SSH or TFTP or whatever mm-hmm. but it, i mean it was it was a it was a nice place to go and yeah i know whenever uh my friends went to the same curriculum mm-hmm. uh they went to to marshall and took it marshall had a really good lab too you know right. that uh, but they got to experience a little more hands-on than i would have liked to have had right uh which was a little bit of a downside but still it was very interesting because it was like being back in high school, but not being back in high school, because as soon as the class was over, you got in your car and you left, you know, right. You went back to Huntington or back to home or wherever you needed to go. So. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I want to ask you about that is personally, I hadn't taken any Cisco classes because there weren't any for me to take when I first transferred to Marshall. So I just, I transferred to Marshall, like, I transferred into what was called the CSD department at the mm-hmm. time, which my senior year, I was doing some classes at the high school. I was doing some classes at Marshall. They wouldn't let me graduate a year earlier. Right. Like I tried. I had everything done but English 12. Yeah. The year before, a girl had been allowed to graduate early. Yeah. She promised she was going to go to college, <laughs> and instead she got married. Oh. So they felt burned by that. Yeah. And they wouldn't let me graduate a year early because I was ready to go. Right. And so they're... Uh, Compromise was to allow me to take college classes half the day, both semesters. So I did CSD. Right. I had no clue we had a community college. So my whole senior year, that's like spring, um, well, that's fall of 97, and then spring of 98, no idea of community college. Right. Transferred to Marshall, fall of 98, Mm -hmm. still clueless. And so (laughs) it took me a while to even learn about it, but it seems like you must have either found somebody or because you knew you had the Cisco classes, right? you'd already done research. Like how did you find the community college or did they find you? Uh, actually what, what happened was um, my original intention was to be an MIS major. 
Hey, uh, that's what I had to become after right. CSD. Right. So, which, you know, Marshall didn't have much of a con- computer science department. No. Computers really wasn't a big focus there. So, the closest thing that we had was management information systems, MIS. Yeah. Um, whenever I got to college, uh, they asked me, you know, orientation, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, I want to do something with computers. And they're like, well, go talk to the school of business. They have something called management information systems. Which turns out to be the business side of a lot of computer uh, jobs, whether you want to be a project manager or a technical leader or something like that. Yeah, I was taking economics. Right, exactly. You know, economics, because I I do all kinds of that. Exactly. Uh, That that (laughs) was the fun part, was was one of my first classes was economics. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one was speech, uh, language, um, you know, English, of course, I did get into, I did test into like calculus and stuff like that, which, you know, has its benefits in, in the computer industry, but it was very boring. It really was. I really didn't care about micro or macroeconomics. I didn't care about the the, the road less traveled, you know, what right. that was, uh, yeah, the Robert Frost. Yeah. One day, I'm going to be severely bald. I've seen what my father looks like. I'm going to get there. (laughs) I'm I'm on that way, too. This guy was so bald. um, He let his hair grow, it seemed like, two feet, and he swirled it like a hurricane on his head. (laughs) But the only thing I remember from that class, and a lot of it was supply and demand and elasticity. It's good stuff. Don't get me wrong. MR should equal MC. Right. If you are a business, you want to make sure the marginal revenue you bring in Equals your marginal cost, right. which, which means you better be making sure you're bringing enough, enough money to pay for your monthly bills. Right. I get that. That exactly. makes perfect sense. But I still was like, when am I going to touch a computer? Right. And 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 honestly, that um, that was my that was the first question I asked my counselor. Whenever I, w- I would say it was about a month in, uh, I made an appointment. Of course, you know, as a college freshman, you don't know much. You really don't. Yeah. I mean, because you're accustomed to high school. You're accustomed to people telling you right. what you need to take. Right. So what happened was whenever I went and talked to her, I said, okay, well, I'm going to be frank with you. Am I going to get a touch of computer within the next year? And she looked at me and said, you know what? You got to take all your prerequisites. And I, at that time, I was like, I don't even know what prerequisite is. Right. What that means. Uh, what does that mean? So she explained to me, well, you got to have your gen ed classes. And then after you do your gen ed, you'll do your introduction to your IT classes, which uh, <laughs> they, uh, I got a neat story for that one. I, just a little further down this, this little storyline I have. Okay. Uh, whenever that goes through about your third year, you really start to get into your computer classes. <laughs> right. So I'm thinking I, I got to wait two years mm-hmm. to get into something I'm really interested in. I said, is there another option? She goes, well, why don't you go talk to the community technical college. They have something similar that you might be interested in. So I make my way down there and uh, I start talking to the counselor there. And of course you can't switch right away. I mean, well you can, but you have to drop all your classes, which means you have to drop all the tuition money that you had. Yeah. Get get W's or F's. Right. You don't want to do that. Which isn't good on your transcript. (laughs) No, not at all. Um, So I talked with her. I said, okay, I'll stick it out. For a semester. For a semester. So we get to the winter semester, and they say, okay, here's your classes, introduction to computers. Here's uh, introduction to operating systems. 
introduction to networking. And I had all these introduction classes, and I said, is there a way I can test out of these? She goes, well, yes, but no. Go talk to the professor. Of course, I guess the professor has to talk to the dean whether or not that's possible. My first four IT classes uh, that semester I tested out of. Okay. I only had to take one class that semester. Nice. Um, which made for a lot of downtime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially for a college, college freshman. Sure. And then we started getting into uh, network operating systems. So what was... What was your option you transferred into? Uh, was net, I think it was network. Uh, I think they actually called it network engineering at the time. I'm not sure. Is it the Cisco and Microsoft? Yeah, it was the Cisco Microsoft. Network system security. Network system security. Was that mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but that was the first one I took mainly. Or I assumed because you had already had the Cisco classes. Yeah. That you were going to try to either go to either network systems development, which is right. straight Cisco, or network systems security. Right, because at the time they were going to count them as gen- like generic college credit classes. Mm-hmm. Right, maybe my my science elective and sure. all that. So whenever uh, I got to talk to the to the uh, counselor at the community technical college, I explained to them the situation, and they were. Uh, they were surprised. They said, uh, so you've already taken these four courses or you're taking these, these other, these last two Cisco three and Cisco four semester. I said, yeah, that's I'm in the fourth semester right now. And they, they had a little bit of a problem with it because the actual, the third and fourth semesters are pre, you need a prerequisites to take those. Well, I had previously done the prerequisites with one and two at the, at the high school and they, ported them over as generic, you know, college credits. The MIS people, right. the main university had right. done that. So it, it took a while to get worked around that. Um, so was it at that point that you were in the community college? They yes. told you to go back to high school and take the no, last no, two? No, no, uh, no. That, that actually was uh, fall semester. So, so the MIS people right, told you. Right, the MIS you. people said, yeah, go, okay. go take care of that. Because I was thinking the community college people had, which no, I was really scratching no, no, my no, head. No, no, no. They were, they were actually a little confused on why the, the business school let me do that. Yeah. I um, mean, as, as I was there for right. a second, too. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it was, it was a very interesting situation to be in. But after that, after we got everything straight straightened out, it was a lot better experience in college because... I was doing stuff I was interested in. I was a hands-on mm-hmm. person. I can't read a book and then immediately just retain it. It's something I have to to get my hands on, sure, and and experience it, and you know, break stuff if I have to to learn how to do it. So, if you were doing the security option, did you eventually get it worked around to where you did not have to take any of our four Cisco courses? I'm a little unsure what you what you mean. Well. What I'm saying is the the MIS people told you, just go ahead and go back to the high school, right. finish taking Cisco 3 and Cisco right. 4. I, I assume the potential would have been there for you to then possibly oh, sit you for your CCNA. I, oh, okay. Um, at the community yeah, as college. as far as the taking at the community college, that didn't happen. Uh, the, I actually completely avoided taking those courses at Marshall. So you did get credit yes. for, for your four Cisco courses. Yes. So that that left. I mean, that's a big chunk taken out. Actually, when I when I came back to the MCTC to take the the uh, curriculum uh, was network development. Mm-hmm. They actually saw the credit for Cisco one through four and said, "Well, you don't have to take those classes." And oh, oh, yeah. so this okay, this story. 
you're you're getting into an area I didn't know about. So you're saying straight out of high school. So before we get to that point, right. straight out of high school, you came and did MIS for a semester, right. jumped over to the community college, uh-huh. and you worked on a Cisco degree. Mm-hmm. Did you complete that? No, I didn't oh, okay. get to. Okay, so you were there a couple semesters, and I was there. Happened. I was actually there. Yeah, I was actually there for two years, and then, uh, like you said, life happened. Yeah. Uh, I actually had to quit, get a job, mm-hmm. start paying. I, it was actually very hard uh, time because I had to help pretty much upfront a lot of my college tuition, college mm-hmm. fees, stuff like that, just because college is expensive. Yes, it can is. be very expensive. After I had run-ins with jobs, uh, you know, break fix here, help desk there, and then eventually up to, you know, what I'm doing now, systems administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, in between there, I, I was able to go back and fund college so what completely. Would, what would you say the, the gap of time between when you left and when you came back is roughly? That would be around five years or so, five, okay. six years. So you were having to work to get the money to then be able to come back to college. Correct. And then when you came back in five and six years, I can I can think of several people who aren't there anymore. Like, I don't know if you ever had any classes to Sherry Vesichta or Sherry right. Havens. Right. She wasn't there. I'm assuming by that point I was there, maybe. Yeah, I, don't know. I think so. so. Um, well, see, the thing was, whenever, uh, towards the, the, the later part of my college career, money was starting to get really tight. Mm-hmm. So I had to take on a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went to school full-time, worked full-time, and just to pay tuition. Mm-hmm. And it started to, I started to suffer in my classes. I uh, ended up having to drop out one semester and uh, really couldn't go back. Uh, I had, I still hadn't enough money to do it. So it took me a long time to get the money I needed to go back sure. and to be able to complete it in a time frame mm-hmm. uh, with money left over. Sure. And that's, I didn't want to commit to another year, another semester, another two years if I wasn't sure that I would be able to pay for the whole thing. Sure. That so. makes sense. Yeah. yeah it, mean, was, it was rough, yeah. but. Well, let me ask you this. Having you say, say that, do you find, because for people out there, you know, I'm a college professor and and I'm probably not the one that would normally say this type of stuff, but not everyone needs to go to college immediately straight out of high school. Right. There can definitely be some advantages. I, I went to college straight out of high school. I just, I, I was fed this whole idea and I'm not saying it didn't work out, but I was fed this whole idea that, you know. In high school, you need to get the best grades and get the ACT because right. then you're going to get the best college. Right. And then you get into college and you're like, now you still got to get the best grades and, and do your best because then you're going to get a job. And it's like there was always another rung to the ladder. Right. So I went through all that and I, I did get a job that I really, really love and I, I love what I do. But not everybody has that mentality. Some right. people are like, I am really burnt out of school. Right. And you're going to send me there. And I'm going to waste your money right? because I am not going to be motivated. So did you find, was there a different shift in you? I mean, I'm, I'm from what you've already told me and from what I've known from his classes, you're a very highly motivated person. Right. But do you find there was an advantage to you not finishing all your stuff there and then coming back? Did it feel different? Yeah. Well, actually, there was a pretty big advantage. Um, the number one advantage, I'd say, was um, understanding what I wanted to do. 
um, when when we go to college uh, at at eighteen, sometimes seventeen, if you graduate early, you have to decide pretty fast what you want to do. Now, a, a passion might be something that you want to follow, but once you start getting into it, you might not like it. You know, right. it's there's different parts of that that whole that whole picture that that could deter you from what you actually wanted to do. So uh, when I left and started working full time, uh, the the job that I had full time actually wasn't tech related. Okay, but after that job, I uh, actually got a tech related job contracting for IBM. So I was able to get my feet wet with that and really expand the knowledge that I had beforehand. Uh, into something that could create a pretty good foundation for my future as far as understanding networks, systems, you know, it's really hard to, to really narrow it down. I had a really broad. Right. I know you want to do a two-part thing, so I won't go too much into it. Well, I mean, I guess something you've been saying that that I think I will I will bring up based on what I'm assuming you're you're saying is, your your first job out wasn't IT related, but I'm sure Correct. you could probably look back and see. I mean, can you give us an idea what generalized type of job that was? Was oh, that well, call I mean, center? It was yeah, it was a call center, and okay. it was and it dealt with actually. I made reservations, plane reservations for people using their uh, frequent flyer miles. Okay, so you had you you had a lot of interaction with the public, right? So even though it wasn't tech, patience, I patience was key. Yes, I really think. As we talk with you know Greg Napier, you get something from every single yes. job, yeah. And so you got you got the patience there, you got the skills to be able to communicate with somebody on the phone via email. So you got a lot of stuff there. In the tech job, what I'm wondering, because this is what I would imagine, I didn't um, I didn't have a job doing computers mm-hmm. until I was just about finished with college, and luckily when I had that job, I didn't say. Holy crap, this is something I like as a hobby, but I'm going to be miserable the rest of my life if I had to do this every single day. Right. You had the advantage of not having completed your college yet. Right. So, so many of our students, and don't get me wrong, some people come in and know exactly what they want to do. Right. So many of our students' first tech jobs is their internship. Right. You're, you're done. It's right. your last semester. Exactly. Hopefully, you go... What I just said, hopefully you don't go, holy crap, I like this as a hobby. I would right. I, I would be miserable doing this for the rest of your life. Right. Because you just went two years. Right. You found out at IBM that you did, in fact, like, you liked it. Right. Enough to where you said, I want to get that money together, and I want to go back and finish what I like. Yeah. One of the things that I like about uh, computers and what I do is the fact that it, it makes sense to me and it's easy for me. You'll You'll get a phone call. This file doesn't work. Of course, that's to us. We we start going through this process. Okay, what type of file is it? What's not working? All that. Now that that it's a natural process for us. Yeah. With the ones that we have, you know, gotten experience or understand how to decipher something like it doesn't work, and and that actually makes me like what I do because the fact that somebody can tell me a cryptic message. And, and I can figure out before I get there what they're trying to do, where it's trying to go, or why it's not arriving the way it should. You almost so, feel like you're a bit of a detective. Yeah. Well, you have to play detective. You really do. Uh, and it's not 
because you are there to play detective. I mean, you're there to fix the problem. But it's the fact that there you have to understand that there's so many people out there that don't understand how to explain what's going on. That that you just have to take the take that that problem that they have and and kind of internally figure it out before uh, they they get frustrated. It it is definitely uh, troubleshooting is definitely a critical thinking skill that's right. that's important out there. Some people can get it and some people can't. Right. I've also found before, oddly enough, that some people can are great at troubleshooting certain things, but not you know technology field right like there are there are people who are mechanics mm-hmm. that i can pull up with my car and they can go what's it doing and i can say well it's making this weird noise right and they ask when is it making the noise right and all these questions they're asking me they're racking their brain like a computer right sitting there throwing out possibilities sometimes you can throw that type of person into a, a technology realm and mm-hmm. they can get it right and surprisingly sometimes they can't it's weird it's like you are a great mechanic. Right. You know the troubleshooting, but they just don't hit it. So I don't know if sometimes people are already born with it because you were a tinker. I was a tinker. Mm, I'd, right. There were several times where um, I took apart the uh, the thermostat yeah. on the side of the wall. So that, <laughs> yeah. my dad didn't like that too well. But I was always taking stuff apart. We always already wanted to fix it. Right. So, yeah, you have to talk to a person and realize they don't know about computers. And even, even people who do know about computers. Right. Microsoft always talked about in their curriculum and it really drove home. You've got to figure out the business needs. You've got to figure out in their language, in in their terminology, what they need. Right. And when they say to you, well, we'd we'd like people on the internet to be able to uh, talk to computers inside of our company. You need to know what that means. Right. And you need to figure out the technology to make it work. Because that's a... That's as high level as they know, and you've got to go lower level. Right, and you you also have to you have to understand exactly how to explain the problem. When when you do troubleshooting, when you do type of help desk stuff, when somebody calls on you, they're calling you because they need help. Mm-hmm. They don't understand, and they need help. The first thing you don't want to do is be degrading towards them. Like, don't look at them and say, well, "How come you don't understand this?" You should understand that when they called you, they don't understand it. And whether or not it's the first time that you've told them or the 50th time, uh, you have to be calm, you have to be nice, and you have to explain how things happen. This way, it gives them a little insight into, you know, maybe they're actually on the 51st time they'll listen to you. They'll understand. But being being someone who, who deals with that day in and day out, I mean, it can it can take a little bit of a toll on you. So you have to you have to be careful not to be uh, degrading or short with people. Just show up, you know. Try to figure out what the problem is. If it's a because sometimes don't dismiss problems. You, because sometimes these problems that are reoccurring are signs of a bigger problem that you're just not catching on to. Yeah. So you you really can't be dismissive about Jane that doesn't understand why her you know coffee holder isn't working correctly you know instead of a cd-rom drive right so um you also have to be and i know it's hard sometimes but you have to be a little appreciative that they actually called you yeah because so many people won't call you Mm -mm. because they'll they'll worry right you know i I should be able to figure this out he's gonna think i'm dumb if i call him the fact that they called you 
they at least have decided at whatever point they are, if their machine right. is smoking or whatever, right. <laughs> they better call Jared uh, because there there may be some real help I need now. It was well, it was interesting. One of my previous jobs, I did have a coworker who was very short, uh, very upfront to people. Uh, I would say he was almost downright mean to Nick, to some of the as people. bad as Nick Burns. Possibly yes, and uh-huh. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating about that. And when I arrived. Uh, I always noticed that there wasn't much going on. Mm -hmm. Like there was not a lot of calls. There was uh, people didn't really talk to me that much. And after I got to know them and, and I kind of warm, they warmed up to me and I warmed up to them. I started getting a lot of calls and I asked them, I said, well, you know, because we worked a little bit of a separate shift schedule. I said, well, did you talk to so-and-so about this? And I said, well, to be quite honest, we don't like him that much, and he's mean to us. So every time that they would talk to him, they would feel bad and belittled. Then belittled, they they felt not as intelligent as you know. I mean, these were smart people, mm-hmm. uh, and this was, I mean, this wasn't just a just a regular business. I mean, some of these people were lawyers. So uh, if they felt that way, it's very very hard to just be very open to some people when you go to do like the help desk position or something like that, because some people have problems with social anxiety, all that, you know, it creates a lot of tension, but, um, just be confident in what you know, and people will realize that you're confident. They'll relax and they'll be able to talk to you just as we're talking here. So, mm-hmm. so that's, that's all very good information i'm trying to remember where we were though <laughs> we, you, we you, went okay, pretty far off okay. track yeah but that's but it's still it's still i mean i hope people listening to this realize that every person i talk to that has any interaction with the public that obviously still has a job keep on hitting home with the exact same areas when i talked to scott nicholas way back when in episode 10 and we talked about him being a computer consultant Meaning he didn't work for a particular company like you did where right. you were their in-house guy. He talked about you can't belittle people. No. You, you, because absolutely you not. won't have customers. Right. And in your case, who knows how much longer that other person might have been there because right. they they weren't going to talk to him. Managers might have realized that. You, you have to... You want to make people call you. You want to keep your job. Right. So many people don't understand that. Right. And uh, so many people are like, oh, why do I have to help these people? It's your job. If you have no one to help, you mm-hmm. don't have a job. Well, so whether you're in a company or you're consulting. Right. Yeah. Don't belittle the people. Well, I mean, that's one that's I've actually earned a lot of extra money because I was recommended by people I've worked with in the past and they say he's very nice. He knows mm-hmm. he explains to you how it works. He will not belittle you and all that. And it's it doesn't from that standpoint, all you're hearing is what they think of you. Yeah. It has any, nothing to do with your technolo- technological um, experience or knowledge or anything like that. They they're recommending you for a job because they like you. Right. So I mean it's very important to be to be tactful, to be nice, to be honest. And that comes down, once again, to networking. Right. Not the computer networking. Right. <laughs> I mean, so actually on top of that, it's not who you know necessarily, but it may be how you treat the people right. you know as right. to whether they're going to recommend you to other right. people. So, And I think 
I think in Greg Napier's episode, he talked about the fact that there were people that would call him just because he may not have even been their their main account rep. He may not have actually known their technology. Right. But they would call him and rather talk to him and know that he knew less and would right. have to research more. Right. Because he was nice. He was right. kind. And the person that was knowledgeable, if they were being uh, mean, they're like, I don't care if it takes them five minutes. Greg's right. nice. We will pay for Greg to take 20 minutes to fix this. And We're totally okay with that. And I mean, I, I've become very good friends with Greg and he is, he's a really nice guy. And mm-hmm. that's, that's, I mean, that's the first thing you really notice about anybody you meet, regardless of their profession as, mm-hmm. as are they nice to me? Are they rude? How do they treat me? And, and really that, that does reflect on uh, your worth, your work ethic, mm-hmm. you know, so. So you were at IBM. Correct. You were um, you were working with them. You decided, I do actually like this stuff as a job. Mm-hmm. I can handle this. I want to finish this degree. I want to put this to bed. Correct. So you came back to MCTC. I think you came back. Were we still Marshall at that no, point? No, it was 2011 when I started. Okay. So, so we were officially now broken away and we right. were Mount o- West. Officially your own spot. We were still on the campus of Marshall University in Corbley Hall at that point, though. Yeah, you were. Yes. Because I remember uh, coming up to uh, Josh's class. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. IT270. Yeah, 270 mm-hmm. was actually the first one that I took okay. uh, with him. But um, when, I, when I got back, it was very different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, at, at my age then, you know, I wasn't caught up in a lot of the stuff that freshmen would be caught up in, parties. Sure going out to bars all that so i was I find my focus part, was different i find for the most part that our community college students yeah typically aren't no they I aren't mean, even when we were at marshall right. i didn't have a lot of frat guys or sorority people in my classes right the football people took my 101 class but right that's about all i saw of them, that's all so. about that's yeah pretty much so for the most part our computer people they usually put their nose at the grindstone right and and honestly that's I didn't I didn't expect to actually make friends when I came back to college because in my mind I was actually focused on let's just get through this let's sure. get it out of the way let's get that piece of paper and yeah. then because honestly uh, if we're going to talk about why I went back to college mm-hmm. um, I understood that when I was working with IBM that I was doing a very good job I liked my job unfortunately that was when IBM started to do a lot of cutbacks Oh, so I actually got uh, I got laid off along with uh, my whole department mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, close to around 500 about 5,000, I think, total. So when you uh, say you worked for IBM, you were still here in the local area? Yes, it was it was a contracted job, but I was an IBM employee. Were you like, was it like if somebody around here had an IBM computer and someone needed parts replaced you were the local person that got the parts came in fixed them that type of thing no actually what i was is i was the uh i was pretty much the tech in the area to take care of the business that ibm contracted with see oh, okay. ibm actually uh was contracted out by nysource which is columbia gas basically oh, okay. uh, columbia gas is owned by nysource uh, nysource says we need to outsource all of our IT, mm-hmm. so that's what they did. Uh, instead of having all in house, they decided we'll hire or we'll get a contract to IBM. IBM will bring it in. They'll run through their 
cutting the fat process that sure. all of these high um, high corporation tech companies will do with some of these other just to save money. Right. And then in the end, they'll outsource for a better price, and then I will cover an area for that. So I I mean basically I covered Southern Ohio, Eastern or excuse me, Western West Virginia and Eastern Kentucky. Is that close to Richmond? Yeah. West, Western West Virginia? Uh, yeah, I have a, I have a cousin in Roanoke, I've been told. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it was, um, I covered a large area and I covered their uh, compressor stations and their executive employees. I covered their service techs. But this ranged in everything from brake fix to helping implement uh, networking systems, servers. Uh, at one point, I had close to a thousand assets that I had to keep track of, day in and day out. So, you like by that by assets, you mean workers under you, or multiple computer systems? Multiple computer systems, oh, okay. laptops, cell phones, uh, server equipment. Oh, okay. Uh, even tools. They <laughs> they had me label and monitor tools uh, oh, wow. specifically. But after all of that had had gone through, and they started cutting pay of everybody in my department, and then I started to understand what was going on, I prepared myself to say, okay, now when this job is over, I don't have a college degree. IT certifications are uh, a way to go uh, if I don't want to go to college. But I thought to myself, I might be cheating myself out of some sort of education that maybe it was unforeseen to me that that would help me down the road so i made the conscious decision to go back that was uh that was a kind of a hard decision at first because it's hard to tell your friends that for one you didn't get to college you didn't get to finish college right and it's also hard to to see that all the people that are in college aren't your age or whatever but once you got to the community technical college it was different it really was. I, you know, people were my age. People were younger. I didn't have all the uh, all the notions I had before about going back. Kind of just went away as the semester, the first semester went through. But uh, the when I made the decision to go back, it was mainly because I missed what I originally wanted to study, which was the Cisco systems and the, and the the Microsoft uh, server um, classes. And I also had gained a pretty big interest in security, uh, network security, hacking, you know, that type of thing was really, really interesting to me because how did it happen? Why does it happen? Is it negligence on, you know, the company's part or are these guys really, really smart? So after I decided that that, that was what I really wanted to get into, I made the decision to go back. Okay. And so once you came back, you actually went the network administration route. Correct. Which is which is interesting because you'd already gone through your four semesters of Cisco. Right. Which which I actually I had to convince them to let me take the classes again. Um they they said you already have the credit, why do you want to take it again? So you wanted to retake the Cisco yeah, classes. I, I volunteered to retake the classes because I could have graduated in a year or a year and a half depending. So maybe you were actually going the security option then. At first, yeah. Okay. Um, I actually think I took your classes as an elective. You, well, I mean, by default, you would have had to take my first four classes right. if you were security. Right. And then you might have decided to go ahead and take my final three as electives. I think I did that. I think that's okay. what happened. But when they when they asked me, why would you want to do this? I said, well, you got to understand these classes were eight years ago. Yeah. Um, 
networking has changed way you know it's it's unfathomable to to us mm-hmm. how much it had changed in eight years you know you go from having you know a a serial connection to a router being the common thing to being ethernet uh you know telnetting in through ethernet stuff like that which i, I said f tftp earlier and i meant to say telnet <laughs> earlier well, on in the podcast when you said tftp but, yeah. my cisco kicked in and i thought oh yeah that's how you get your um your your boot rom up to right it. which you can you can actually store it on on a server and 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 pull it and that way you don't ever lose your operating system so when like you that. said tftp i still knew there was a yeah, reason that it belonged right. to cisco yeah <laughs> um but uh i mean when i finally convinced them to let me take the classes uh i got real excited because I was I was going to be able to to get equipment and to be hands on with it, and at that time I didn't know that Cisco Packet Tracer was a thing. Uh, I didn't know that you could have a piece of software that could emulate all of whatever a Cisco router or switch or a phone phone server or mm-hmm. or the phone systems can do. Um, but after I started getting into that, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it it wasn't like going to school. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't. It was. I was actually learning things I wanted to learn, and it was really motivating me to go to to class. Now, I you know I wouldn't wake up that day and say, "Well, I don't really want to go." I was like, "Well, I do want to go because I want to know. I want to understand a frame relay, or I want to understand MPLS, or whatever it is." And uh, that when you when you finally reach that point, when you decide to go to college or go back to college or even if it's your first time at college, it really changes your experience. And, and I'm really happy that MCTC was able to provide that, that type of experience for me. So I don't, you didn't mention it. So I don't guess you had originally gotten your CCNA while you no, had gone through the high school no. stuff. Did you was, end up doing it when you went through us? No, they changed. <laughs> believe it or not, they, as soon as I was going to go take the exam, mm-hmm. they switched exams. Oh, Okay. And immediately after they switched exams, I got a uh, a very nice job at a law firm. Okay. And it reduced the time which I was able to study and, and go do because uh, to go do the test because there were days that I would work 16 hours mm-hmm. with that law firm. Right. And um, that leaves eight hours to sleep. That leaves eight hours to sleep <laughs> and uh, two hours to game. So subtract two hours from sleeping. Right. So I didn't get a chance to go take my exam. Right. Um, I actually spoke with uh, Greg Napier, believe it or not, mm-hmm. last week about uh, getting some materials again to go take the exam because it's uh, it's the Cisco the CCNA is is very very hard from what I've been told. Yes, um, it's the entry level exam, but it's also the exam that says either you want this or you don't. Yep, and it was very very. Um, anxious about taking it uh, i'm not very good with tests um that's, that's always been something that i'm not good with standardized tests uh computer tests whenever we go through certification stuff that's a little different mm-hmm. to me uh for example i i got the the wireless certification when i graduated mm-hmm. from mctc that's actually helped me a lot at my current job i was i was figuring i was going to mention that because i kind of thought that was going to be very helpful to your current job so but uh, i don't know if you want to talk about that now or later we can we can we can 
tease that for touch now, it, and then and then we'll yeah. yeah we'll we'll get into it on the next one too. But did you? I, I mean, I remember you really taking to all the Microsoft stuff. I don't right. remember whether you did any certifications or for that or not. Um, I took the seven certification. Okay, the Windows seven one. Yeah, okay. and uh, I passed it. Uh, server I did not take mainly because that was when twenty twelve was coming out. Okay, and yeah. uh, I'm still I'm still trying to get some time to where I can come take a 2012 class with you, okay. honestly, because uh, I want to, I'd like to, us to switch our infrastructure to 2012. Uh, we have some old servers that um, we shouldn't. Right. <laughs> so, well, I know when, when I moved to 2012, I did a special topics class at one point where it was basically for the people who had already taken my 2008 right. to get you prepared for the upgrade test. Right. And so I had done that as a one-off now I was just thinking about you know, Scott Nicholas does the fast track program. Right. I mean, it's, it's more money, but it's, but once again, like you said, when you came back, you right. said, I wanted to take the Cisco class right. again this semester. I think we're about ready to get into week four, maybe week five. I'm losing track already, but he, he's finishing the first Cisco. He, wow. he, he does, he does all four Cisco in one semester in the fall. That's rough. While I'm doing all four Microsoft. That is, that's. But I mean, it's rough. It's all packet tracer. Well, it is. Well, I mean, th- that's the thing, though. If if learning all the all the Cisco stuff actually wouldn't take two years. Right. Uh, if you're dedicated and you know it and you want to, you want to get experience, you want to learn this stuff as fast as possible, packet tracer is the way to go. I mean, and it he, really is. He, um, this is his second year going through with this right. program. Uh, the first year, he he jokes that the students cursed him for the amount of packet tracer he did, <laughs> but but also these are the same. One of the students yeah. went and sat for the CCNA and missed it by one. Oh, I mean, boy. A per- I mean a perfect. No, oh, he. No, oh, he, you mean he passed with almost almost perfect, almost perfect score. And and he said he he told uh, Scott he's like it's like you knew it was on the test, right? And Scott said, well, you know, if you look online, Cisco right. tells you everything. That they could possibly right. test you on. Right. I gave you a packet tracer file for every single one of those options. Right. So I, I didn't know what they were going to put on the test. Right. I was making sure you were ready for anything. And he's right. like, well, I was. He goes, I was worried I was going through it too fast. Right. And uh, Scott's got a wonderful, Scott can teach anybody subnet masking in 15 minutes. That's that's he, impressive. He's got a very, yeah, he managed to teach our, um, our accounting and business teacher, Rick Brown, during his... Um, he had to do a presentation to get rehired in right. and come back. And so he taught an accounting guy how to do subnet masking in 15 minutes. That's impressive. So it's uh, it's an amazing program. But yeah, he does the first four Cisco right. in fall. He starts you off in summer. In summer, he, he does um, 102, which is not like the 101 anymore. Right. It's actually Visio Project and access all now, the, less access. The, now i, I want to point out that the sure. visio is extremely important yes if you want to if you want to do system administration mm-hmm. you learn the in and out of visio because it makes it makes your your planning mm-hmm. your diagrams your uh you know your logical network map or your or your physical map mm-hmm. much easier much much easier so it's it's very imperative that you learn something like that if you want to go into administration i was a big i'm a big visio guy because of databases right i make all my all my um my an erd entity right. relational diagram that right. shows all my tables and all their fields 
And then, you know, you mentioned doing network diagrams. Mm-hmm. When I took Scott's 2000 classes, this is gone now, but when I took Scott's 2000 classes in Visio, there used to be a plugin you could install in Visio that would give it access to Active Directory. And it would actually query Active Directory and build you an entire Visio chart. That's insane. Of all of your domains as well as your OUs. So like your whole forest and yeah. and all that. And they and everything stopped, included. They in stopped it. doing. I'm guessing because it was a pretty big security yeah, risk. I would assume so. <laughs> but um, you, you exploit that, and all of a sudden you have all the information. But yeah, but I'm I'm going to be doing a podcast with Scott eventually. But just just to let you know, right? So, I mean, people can hear this too. But but I'm going to be going through it fast for for, for Jared. He does uh, the 120, uh-huh. which is like it's like our 101 now. Right. I'm sorry. The the 102. He does 120 with them. But he's doing 120 and 270. Right. He does 120 as the software side of A+, and then 270 as the hardware. Mm-hmm. And throughout it, when he does the Visio side, he goes ahead and shows them Packet Tracer. Mm. So that when they get out of the summer class, right. and they sit and get their A+, they then come back in fall, and they already know what Packet Tracer is. So when he's doing the four Cisco, right. you don't have to reteach that. And so he goes to the four Cisco, and then in his um, spring semester, right. he does five of my seven Microsoft which that gets you an MCSA and one MCSE. Right. Because now my seven classes, the, the last two, get you an extra MCSE. So did, did they uh, have they changed, again, the Microsoft abbreviation, Microsoft Professional, all that, like we're, the, we're, that they were like two or three years ago? We're, tru- we're truly back to MCSE. Okay. What I think what Microsoft did was they wanted to change what the MCSE stood for. Ah, uh, I see. And to do that, they said, look over here. In the 2008s, <laughs> and they called it MCITP. Right. And then in 2012, they go, oh, we're back, the MCSE. It's not the Microsoft Certified Systems right. Engineer. You are now the solution expert. Ah, I see. And they changed that because it's just not server. Right. They, You can have questions on there from SharePoint, Exchange, anything. So they're not even, it's technically not even the 2012 right. MCSE. And I got to recertify every three years now. I'm not to that point yet. Next summer will make two years for me. Oh boy. Better start um, studying, so, Patrick. <laughs> so I mean, well what's great about it is teaching it really, really helps keep Right. Me, keep it me really, fresh. really refreshes yeah. you uh on all that information. But yeah, I, w- I just was curious what certifications you got when you were there. And you mentioned you got a job at a law office. I'm right. curious while you were going back through since the IBM job. Right. When was your next job since the IBM job? Was it the law firm job? It was the law firm job. Yeah. And was that your internship or how did no, that No, actually work? the internship I did there at the college at uh, MCTC. Oh, okay. Um, I started working in the uh, IT department for BreakFix and at just, the time. Just to throw out there for everybody, BreakFix, and I, right. I'm just wondering that they don't know. BreakFix is the fact that I can't print. My machine won't turn right. on. My software needs reinstalled. It's the fact that something is broke they're calling you and you have to come in and get it fixed correct so it's the normal day-to-day crap you got to put up with which which actually when they brought me on as an as an intern um was during july which was the semester before everybody got up to the office there on the fishery hill um so when i got there and started working we were pulling in tables we were running cables we were putting all the systems on the tables. We were installing the operating system. So you were able to go up to the what we have now, the new building, and you were help helping lay out and design that whole building. Right. 
Wow, right, okay. which which honestly, for an internship is, I mean, it's wonderful experience right. to get. Uh, and it doesn't it, happen every day, right? And and it was really neat the way it was set up and how you could distribute the uh, operating system from a central location and and all that. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Windows deployment Windows services. Deployment services. I'm the one that talked them into doing it. Finally, <laughs> they were still doing Ghost. <laughs> it was well. See that I mean at the at one time Norton Ghost was probably the best thing to use, but as Windows progressed and as server got better. Windows deployment system popped up, and it, and in a large environment like that, it is an absolute no-brainer. WDS wasn't what it is now until 2008. Right. In 2003, there was a technology called RIS, Remote Installation Services, mm-hmm. but it wasn't there until 2008. And so right. I started showing Tommy and Matt and them all that in like 2008, 2009, right. and they were really, that raised their eyebrows. But it was, I mean, ever since I started, uh, I did, I think, over a year internship. Oh, wow. And um, it was all it was all my senior year. My whole senior year, I was there. Actually, it might have been two years, possibly. No, it was just a year because they moved to the new building my senior year, or I guess my second year. Mm-hmm. So it was a little over a year that I did my internship with MCTC. Did you end up taking either my storage or my virtualization classes? I think I took your virtualization class. Okay. And did you do my summer class? Because that was a special summer class. That, yes, I remember. Um, I remember a picture you took of uh, of your tape let, job. Let me let me let me paint a picture of, sure. of uh, Patrick's class. Uh, this I, honestly, if there's anybody here listening that's that's interested in taking the class, you should. For one main reason. This was the 293 networking practicum class. Yes. It basically is a class that which you decide what you want to do. Uh, there is a time frame to do it in. And you get to test yourself and exactly how far and exactly what you can and cannot do. Patrick's always there to help you. But he gives you the reins. He lets you drive. He lets you crash. <laughs> he lets you install your <laughs> DC three times. Uh, which is domain controller. He also lets you experiment if you want to actually try to create a Microsoft Exchange server, which was overbearing, but it was well worth the effort. But it's a, it's a very, very good class, mainly because you get to decide what you want to do. And you have to you have to use critical thinking. You have to be a problem solver. If you get stuck, he'll help you. But it, it, it suggests that you should be very involved with the whole process and understanding as if you were implementing this system or this server or this, this whole forest by yourself, uh, as if you would be in the real world or at some administration job that you might have. It really gives you a good insight of what you have to know, what you have to be aware of, and what you have to take into consideration when you do it. I mean, it was honestly, how long was the class? Uh, five weeks, six weeks? Well, you know, your alls was interesting. Your alls <laughs> was five weeks. You're right. Traditionally, it's not five weeks. It's you, not. You were a special case. Okay. See, well, you, you, not you, me particularly, yeah, but right. us as a class. Okay. Right. But what happened was the class is typically a 10 week course. The problem was, as you stated, right. we were moving to our new location. Right. They did not want to run any summer classes that were not online. Right. 
And the reason they want to run them is because where were we going to have them? Right. <laughs> we were moving out of Corbley and moving up to the new building. And so I put my foot down and said, this is the only time I do this class. I only right. do it during the summer. These students need this. And they said, okay, you can do it down at the Inland Waterways on Route 2. Right. And that meant we had to pack up our own computers and take them down like a convoy. Right. And Roy helped me and uh, uh, Dr. Harold Camp, one of the, I think, physics professors there right. helped me uh-huh. take them all down. I had to wrap them all up myself, making sure they got down there because those machines were going to be the machines right. in my classroom. Right. And so we were down at the Inland Waterway in no man's land. <laughs> on um, route two. <laughs> on, a, on, a, on a network that was... 10, uh, 10 megabit. So yeah. I was like, forget it, I, that. It still had, it still had uh, token ring adapters yeah. around the room. Yeah, they, they had different BNC uh, coaxial connections. Right. So I brought in Jack's routers and went, we went ahead and did that. And we were kind of like a, like a, a pirate radio station, yeah, except <laughs> we were we were a pirate network station. And, <laughs> and we just worked in there. So they made me do it as a five week because- right the uh, registrar was going to be moving over as well. Right. And so I wouldn't be able to submit grades to anybody because nobody was going to be there. Right. So when we did it five weeks, suddenly you guys had it four days a week. Yeah. It was, it was very, very, um, it was a little intense, actually. There was a lot of uh, searching going on. I think probably one of the uh, biggest things that, that I, I went to tackle was the exchange server. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, based on that, I imagine you did not take my final three classes. No, because the no, I didn't. I didn't take the final three. The, the seven of eight classes used to be exchange. Right. If I had a choice to do exchange, mm-hmm. from my experience, well, at least with I think it was two thousand seven. Yep, two thousand seven. Because we prepped. I think it prepped from two thousand three to two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you did the install for two thousand seven. Yep. Which was on two thousand three machines. Right. <laughs> Which. Uh, if you ever wanna, if you ever wanna learn the hard way, that's the way to do it. <laughs> it really was. I mean, it wasn't oh, yeah. hard. The, the, honestly, what it did was just take a lot of time. It was a. What I found when I did the exchange class and and sat for the test and everything, I thought I, you know, I'm an MCSE. I took Scott's NT4 classes. A lot of this is gonna bleed over. Right. No. Exchange was a beast all to of its, it's own. It's its own monster. It was, it, it's crazy and. The reason why I had it in the 2008 curriculum is because I thought that would put a feather in a lot of people's caps when they right. went to get a job. Right. They got exchange experience. Right. And I was deciding between for an elective class in there, a Microsoft test elective, because right. it wasn't required to get what's now called your MCSA or MCSE. Right. You only needed uh, six classes for that. And I was like, but I have seven classes. And it was between that or SQL Server. Right. And I thought, everybody's got email. Not everybody has databases. So that's why I chose to go the, the route of exchange. Right. Now I need all seven of my classes, so I don't I don't have exchange anymore. But right. but they still get to play with it in the networking practical. Right. But normally now, like I did this last summer, it's ten weeks. Mm-hmm. Ten weeks up at Mount West. I usually make it like on a Tuesday and Thursday. Right. And and even if the students want to come in and work on Monday, Wednesday, I make sure the labs open so they can do it. So they can get some more time in, but it's still set up the same way it was for you. The so, whole idea is this should be your last class or one of your last classes. You're going to have to work on it. You're going to have to do it. I'm going to give you a time frame and you're going to document your work mm-hmm. because we kept on hearing from so many employers. Students are great with putting out fires. Right. But then they want to walk away. Right. They don't want to write anything down. Right. And we don't want to pay them a second time to put out the same fire. 
We want right. them to know the second time what it was. Right. And so that's why I, that's why I put it in there. So I well, really enjoy it. That's very important that you mention documentation because uh, my current job, we don't have a documentation system. Uh, when I worked for IBM, we did. It was more of a ticket system. But however, if you had a problem or had certain symptoms, you could look it up in a, in a database and there would be possible fixes. You know, if if you didn't know or somebody didn't have experience in that area, there was something there to go by. Now, at my current job, that we don't have that. So if there is a problem or some sort of miscommunication between me and a, and a co-worker and there's a problem and neither of us disclosed it to one another, somebody's going in blind. They could be looking at the different part of the problem. Uh, it's, it's very important that you document everything that you do because it makes the job easier down the road, even if you're not going to be there. I mean, if you leave that job and somebody else replaces you, uh, you're being helpful to that person that's coming in to replace you. You really are. It's the are. whole doing to others as you would have them doing right. to you because you hope when you get to your next job exactly. that someone else was nice to you right. and documented stuff. Right. I mean, if you, if you went to your next administration job and then this guy says, here's our network information, here's our domain information, here's our, all our passwords, here are our current problems, here are possible problems here are ones and solutions all this all this stuff that, that i'm telling you that he provides you with you're like well gee thanks you know this this gives me a whole good outlook on what i can do or what's going to be happening or what has happened sure and then you know joe schmo that took your job is you know has a uh, half-eaten candy wrapper in the desk <laughs> so he doesn't have anything to go by. Right. But uh, it's very important that you create documentation because along the lines, you will forget. Mm -hmm. There will be things that happen that are pretty big that you will just completely forget. Yep. And it won't strike you until two hours into that problem. And then you go, oh, wait, I completely <clears throat> remember why this did this. Right. I forgot, you know. So documentation and actually reviewing that documentation is very helpful. I will tell you that if, if money's an issue is why they don't have it, uh, <laughs> I do believe MCTC at one point was using a free one, so you might be able to contact someone. I know that um, Ohio University uses one called Footprints. Really? But I don't I've know. I've actually been looking at that. Um, uh, not not that one in particular, but mm -hmm. I've been looking for some sort of documentation. Some, uh, some I, believe, I believe the free product that was out there is actually done by a company called SolarWinds. So I know SolarWinds. So uh, I, I believe SolarWinds has a free ticketing they have system. Something you can use. like that. Yeah. But I mean, worst case, you know, let me know and we'll, we can contact right. and, and get you. But I know when Scott was at Ohio University, he right. actually set up footprints for them there. Um, but I know we had a free one at MCTC at one point. I don't know if we're still using the exact same one. Right. But they're definitely, you can get free ones out there and they're better than nothing. So you, you did our internship. Right. After that, is that when you landed the, the law firm job? Yeah, and that, okay. I, that actually, I got that job three weeks before I graduated college. Oh, okay. Um, that was timely. It was. It, it really was. And, and something that, that, uh, that people listening might not know, they might look at a, a job interview and say, well, it requires a four-year degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, it requires two to five years experience. Yep. Don't, don't, uh, don't automatically think you can't do that. When I saw the job interview for the law firm, 
it had those qualifications. Right. And uh, I said, you know what? I want to take a shot anyway. Okay. So I sent in my resume. I sent a cover letter with it. You know, it's always important to have something, you know, that that, that states intent. Uh, and something you can explain. And something, yeah, exactly. You know, two weeks go by, then I get a call. And uh, this fellow goes, uh, yeah, I'm going to uh, talk to you about the job that you applied for here at this law firm. So we do a little phone interview. He sets up a normal interview. Well, this is closing in on graduating. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was late April, maybe mid-April. I went through the interview. He says, okay, we'll uh, we'll let you know. So, okay. Uh, I wait about a week. He calls me and goes, I want you to come in. I want you to meet our executive director. Oh, wow. Yeah. So a third interview, a third callback, that usually means that, that you're one of the final candidates. So long story short, they called me before I got home after that interview and said, we want to offer you the job. And I made sure that they understood that I couldn't start for three weeks and all that because of school and whatnot. But the my main point is that I beat out 10, 12 candidates, they said, that were working on their master's. And, and it's it's not because... A lot of a lot of the people that put these ads out there, yeah, aren't actually the IT people putting the ads out there. Uh, it's you know HR or somebody in management are putting out the the ads for these for these jobs. And then when you start getting into the interview with the actual IT people, they'll understand what experience you have, whether or not you'd be a good fit, and that's why those types of of job ads or the ones that you might see on monster.com or even in the local paper don't berate yourself or, or put yourself down to a point to where you're like well they're asking for a four-year degree i can't get that don't do that because there's that's actually two jobs now that i've been able to get even though they stated a two-year degree wasn't good enough i think that's a good point yeah on the flip side i will say this i will say that like in every class that I've had like speech class wise or right. whatever when they're telling you apply for jobs. Right. Don't assume they're right. gonna, don't assume they're gonna call <laughs> right. you because I, I can tell you at Mount West the way that we do our hiring, like we put out a we put out an ad. Right. And we say what's required mm-hmm. and what would be preferable. Right. HR, like we came up with the ad. HR does everything I'm sure there's resumes we never see right? because HR goes to the, by the letter of that. Right. So I would say a law firm, maybe like a local TV station. Right. Those type of places are probably going to be smaller to right. where the IT person might be able to, you know, sort to through them. through them, yeah. Yeah. So I would, I agree with you that give it a shot. Right. What I would also say too is don't embellish. No. Because, always be, always be yeah, honest. Be, be completely Ab- absolutely honest. Absolutely honest. Mm-hmm. Because I mean I've seen I've seen resumes and I've I've uh, I've I've heard people talk about well they wanted such and such so I wrote it that way you know right. they, they said I needed three years so I, yeah I said I was there for three years right don't do that just you know I mean go into the interview if you get it and say I know you really wanted three years right but i only had two years but i really think i could explain to you everything i did in two years and you could appreciate how that extra year is going to be trivial compared to the knowledge i have for you Mm -hmm. 
you don't want to start off by lying to your potential employer. Right. Which, which actually, when I left the uh, lawyer's office job to my current job, I actually sat in on the job interview for the people who were or people who were going to replace me. Sure. And I there was one fellow who actually said that he had experience with Exchange 2007, mm-hmm. you know, Active Directory, all this stuff. So when we started questioning him about it, uh, he didn't have direct answers. He was very indirect. He very general. And then maybe uh, he had my classes. <laughs> no, he he uh, he actually finally at the uh, towards the end as we started to grow him on question, he goes our own questions. He he stated, "Well, I don't exactly. I wasn't exactly completely involved with it. I was in the room when it was installed." Wow. So. Don't try to to lie your way into a job because eventually, yeah. even if you do get the job, they're going to find out. They're going well, to understand that you don't know what you're doing. I mean, what I was thinking, I tell my students, having some exchange experience can right. be a feather in your cap. I definitely but don't oversell it. Right. So when you said they had active director experience in exchange, I thought, oh no, did someone go out there and I'm like, yeah, I ran this thing. Right. For 16 weeks. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's, well, that's I mean, when, when I interviewed for jobs and I told them, I installed an exchange server. Uh, they Their eyes would light up. And then I say, but let me explain to you what that means to me. You know, I installed it. I got it to a point to where it worked. However, I didn't create mailboxes. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. So I just let them understand that I had the ability to do that, but it wasn't something I did every day. Right. So, And it's it's the idea that, you know, I might have struggled through it, but right. I got through it. Right. Because I'm not going to be the best person at everything here right off the bat. Right. But I'm going to get there. That's that, <laughs> that's why you want me type thing. Exactly. So so you were at the law firm. You were able to do IT stuff there. And then you left there. And where did you go from that? Uh, I actually work at a local TV station now. Oh, okay. So that's... That's where the wireless comes in. To, Correct. To be very helpful. Uh, yeah. That's where the wireless comes in. That's where actually a lot of the knowledge I got out of your class comes in uh, because we're actually part of a corporate network, mm-hmm. uh, enterprise network. And there's lots of things in there that, that, that I actually am surprised how much I learned from the classes that like you and Jack and, and Josh okay. uh, really helped out a lot with this job. Okay. So we're going to get much deeper into the TV station job next but before we leave this particular episode i'm curious in your time at all these different places do you have any memorable moments that have happened or any any time where you had to take a step back and go breathe you know or just teachable moments that could help illustrate something that's happened to you where you're practicing what you preach of patience or networking or those type of things we um at my current job, we have a central database or a central storage for all video, audio, all of that. About six months ago, it died. Now, when I mean it died, I don't mean it's a four. We have fourteen drives in it on mm-hmm. a RAID array. Mm-hmm. Um, when it died, it died. It took everything. If it wasn't for the fact that we did offsite backups, mm-hmm. we would have been hosed. Which just even having a secondary backup would have worked, but it was the right. fact you had another backup. Right, right. Which, you know, in itself for uh, a company, the right array, the way it was set up, as many drives as we had, 
it was fail safe. Mm-hmm. Whether we took a power hit, um, we had a fluctuation on one of the phases of power inside our building, we don't know. Mm-hmm. But it fried every single one of those drives, every single one. And at that moment, everything grinded to a halt. That whole business stopped until we were able to get everything back together running. Uh, your first priority is to, in that situation, think what the mission critical stuff is. What has to be up first? What can wait till later? In that moment, that's it's a moment. That's almost a moment of clarity. You have to understand that your expertise is what's going to create a working environment yeah. for these people, and it's going to be either at a slow pace or at a fast pace, depending on your knowledge and and working as a team with other people that have a better knowledge in a certain area or less knowledge in a certain area. You can't let it overwhelm you. You you just have to take it step by step. Identify the most crucial points. Address them first, all while working together to put together either whether it be another server or a raid array like we had to get everything back up and going. There's that's going to happen. Just just prepare yourself for it. The more you prepare, the better off you're going to be. Whether it's not disaster recovery or even using old school tape drives and doing offsite backups stuff like that. That that type of that type of problem was was very very rare, but you always have to be prepared. So, if you do have downtime, I know you could be on Reddit or watching YouTube or watching Twitch TV or whatever you want to be doing. Just take into account that that at any moment, any one of those important machines out there can die and watch your backup plan for it. That's, that's pretty much uh, the biggest and most important thing I think about every day. As far as everyday, the day-to-day type things, you know, reiterate again, be nice, be courteous, explain anything anybody wants to to know the, uh, the definition for, the reason for, or whatever. And just just remember that, that every job is stressful to a degree and that no matter what is going on, you know, it's, it's, it's your job to get everything working and you should and be confident in knowing how to do that. So just rely on your expertise and, and just get through the day, you know. I think that's great advice. <laughs> I, I know when you were talking about that blowing up, right. it made me think, um, for people who listened to the previous podcast, I did an interview with Chris Felix, and he talked about doing DR drills. Right. And I was like, just explain what that is, disaster right. recovery. Right. They regularly, every six months, do that. Right. Kind of goes back to documentation. Right. Making sure, and even if you're not there. Making sure that someone has a document, and this mm-hmm. it applies to our regular life. Right, I mean, you need to think every <laughs> once in a while. Okay, there's an emergency. What would I do? What right. would be the steps I need to do? So, right. in, in all facets, you need to make sure you've thought, if you can, about most contingencies. Right, because can, in risk management, you can't you can't throw money and make it be zero risk. Right, there's there is no zero risk in our job. No, no, it's there's always risk. You just what, what you do is you take the steps to minimize it, and that's it. Yep. That's all you can do. That's true. Well, thank you, sir. On the next one, we're going to dive deeper into your uh, your current job <laughs> and the technology and that. No but problem. 
But for now, we're going to end this here. Hope everyone enjoyed this episode with Jared Staten. And so I am Patrick Smith. Uh, as a reminder, it's been a couple episodes since I've mentioned it, but we do have a, a Twitter account, Talk on Tech MCTC, and we have a current email address of talkontech at gmail.com. More on changes to that later on. But until then, have a great week.